Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. This American trader used the pseudonym Paul Revere when broadcasting propaganda over the airwaves. Yankee Doodle was his show's theme song. But it was the pro-Nazi and anti-Semitic agenda that dominated Douglas Chandler's radio show that was problematic for the United States government. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Douglas Chandler was born in Chicago, Illinois in 1889. And we don't really catch up with him or his life story on the historical timeline until he served as an officer in the U.S. Navy during World War I. He married into a wealthy family and was successful himself as a stockbroker in the late 1920s. Chandler, though, like many, was financially ruined by the Great Depression. He began working at the Baltimore News American, writing a weekly column which he often penned in poetic verse. Among those who knew him, he was considered a charming man, but also an arrogant one. Around the time of the Depression, Chandler began to blame his failures, 
perceived and real failures on the Jewish community. And he was outspoken, and I mean bitterly outspoken against the, quote, un-American fog spreading over the land from the swamp of imported Jewish Bolshevik subversion. Yeah. So in September of 1931, seeking a new future, Chandler, along with his wife Laura and two daughters, Laurette and Patricia, moved from the United States to Europe. During the family's first 10 years abroad, there's record they lived in a few countries, including, but not only, France, Austria, Germany, Italy, and Yugoslavia, as it was known at that time. It wasn't long after his move to Europe that he became involved with the Nazi agenda. According to historian John Carver Edwards' book titled Berlin Calling, American Broadcasters in Service to the Third Reich, during his first visit to Germany, Chandler was introduced to the Nazi press department's attaché and the general consul in Munich. He was given a tour of Dachau, one of the Nazis' first concentration camps, where it is said he was, quote, impressed by the clean barracks. He left Germany completely convinced that the United States government was guilty of distorting the facts. In addition to his interest in the Nazi agenda, Chandler, soon after relocating, bought himself a Leica camera and pursued a new career as a freelance photographer. Five years after moving to Europe, Chandler shipped photographs from a trip to North Africa to an acquaintance of his back in the United States. The associate editor at National Geographic, John Oliver Lagorce. Along with the photographs, Chandler sent correspondence, writing that he enjoyed life abroad and planned to stay in Europe. But that was, quote, presupposing that no general catastrophe is going to overtake poor Europe. Lagorce declined to publish those photos, but he did have a proposition for Chandler. Lagorce asked him to write an article about Berlin. He wanted it to be a story, quote, picturing the life of the people, their amusements or hobbies, something of the cafe life, recreational interests, the business side, recent developments in architecture, how traffic is handled. He also took a moment to remind Chandler of National Geographic's editorial rules. Stories should be, quote, of a kindly nature. And they needed to be, foreshadowing be damned, apolitical. Lagorce wrote to Chandler, quote, It is realized that present conditions in Germany are decidedly controversial, and it is difficult to write about it without impinging upon politics and religion. But we leave that to other publications to cover. Chandler took this assignment and noted that he had already photographed various towns, specifically calling out that he had photos of where Adolf Hitler was born. He referred to the album as, quote, a comprehensive series of photos of all that concerned his youth. A couple of months went by before Lagorce received a 9,000-word article titled Berlin, City of Rivers and Trees, and a letter promising Chandler had, quote, faithfully steered clear of those controversial subjects against which your letter warned me. Lagorce accepted the work and paid Chandler. The story became a 47-page article called Changing Berlin. But against National Geographic's policy, the work was splashed with swastika-draped buildings and packed with complimentary descriptions of Berlin under Nazi rule. Today, National Geographic calls this article among the most embarrassing in its history. The final product showed photos of Hitler's birthday parade 
One caption from Chandler read, quote, to develop boys and girls in body and mind and thus ensure a sturdy race to defend Germany in the future is a policy of the present government. In 1937, Chandler was an ongoing contributor to National Geographic. He reported on Turkish democracy, Baltic culture, Belgian architecture, and a Yugoslavian monarch. It was around this time when he was introduced to Ulrich von Bülow. Von Bülow was the man in charge of recruiting Americans and Brits for Joseph Goebbels' propaganda machine. The foreshadowing here kind of just won't stop. In 1938, upon return to Germany, Chandler remarked to a friend that he found a, quote, thrilling and admirable new social order in the process of burgeoning here. Several months later, the Chandlers were staying in an old castle on Korchula, an island off the Dalmatian coast. While there, they were visited by a man named William Danforth, who was the founder of the Purina Pet Food Company. But in this instance, more importantly, he was a good friend to National Geographic's La Gorse. Upon conclusion of his time with the Chandlers, Danforth wrote to La Gorse to express his gratitude for the introduction to Douglas. But he also wrote that, quote, The disturbing thing to me was that Mr. Chandler was more pro-Nazi and anti-Jewish than any man of any nationality that I met anywhere on our trip. This should have raised a red flag and could not have been entirely surprising for Lagorse. Just a year prior, Chandler had expressed his anti-Semitic views when he had written that the boycott of the Third Reich by American universities had brought him, quote, shame and embarrassment. Lagorse thanked Danforth for the information and reassured him that he and Chandler had spoken, quote, the geographic did not concern itself with political or religious controversies, and its published articles must be without propaganda or bias. But though that response that Lagorse gave his friend might sound a little bit cavalier, he did sound the alarm. Lagorse first sent a staff member based in Europe to visit the Chandlers and investigate the pro-Nazi allegations from Danforth. Chandler's anti-American leanings were quickly confirmed. Lagorse ordered all correspondence from the magazine to Chandler to end immediately, and the magazine canceled his upcoming assignment to Albania. They also filed a report of what they knew about his activities with the United States government. Chandler was becoming increasingly conspiratorial. When Lagorse and anyone at National Geographic stopped answering his letters, he was quick to believe that it was because of the influence of Jewish people in the media. He did not keep those views a secret, and his conversation led his neighbors to accuse him of being a Nazi. His response was to name himself the victim of a witch hunt being led by the Jewish community. So we're going to break for a word from our sponsor right now. And when we return, we'll talk about Chandler's first broadcast on the Reich Broadcasting Corporation's USA Zone. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. 
Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. Welcome back to Criminalia. Now in Chandler's story is when he moved to Berlin and offered his services to the Nazi Party's propaganda recruiter. So in the winter of 1940, the United States Consul in Italy ordered all American citizens to return to their country. Chandler, who technically here is an American citizen, did not repatriate. Instead, through the intervention of the German consul, he moved to Germany, and his family followed about a month later. According to historian Edwards, when he arrived, Chandler offered his services to Goebbels' propaganda recruiter, Ulrich von Bülow, whom he'd met three years earlier. Von Bülow arranged for Chandler to host a show, broadcast on the Reich Broadcasting Corporation's USA Zone. USA Zone was a program heard in the United States via shortwave radio, and its goal was to turn the American public sentiment against U.S. involvement in the war. Chandler's wife, Laura, wrote of the new show in her journal, quote, Thank God Douglas has this wonderful opportunity to serve the USA. Just about 10 p.m. on a warm night in April of 1941, American listeners who were tuned in to their shortwave radios heard something new. They heard the tune Yankee Doodle, played on fife and accompanied with the sound of galloping horse hooves. A man spoke, quote, Tonight I, an American observer, come galloping on the radio. And that's how Chandler's first pro-Nazi propaganda broadcast began. Every night, except Saturdays, for the next four years, a man who called himself Paul Revere broadcast the propaganda line of the Nazi propaganda ministry directly to Americans in American homes. His broadcasts made him part of an army of propagandists waging war through shortwave radio. Chandler was known as America's Lord Ha Ha. That nickname comes directly from the fascist and Nazi propaganda broadcaster William Joyce. Joyce, under the name Lord Ha Ha, railed against Winston Churchill and broadcast pro-Nazi content to the United Kingdom during World War II. Unlike Chandler, though, Joyce did this in a shrill-slash-mocking upper-class British accent. Chandler was instructed by the Nazi propaganda department to follow a five-point propaganda program during his broadcasts. It was Goebbels and Hitler's, quote, psychological weapon of war. We'll see later on just how key this was at Chandler's treason trial. The points stated were as follows. One, Bolshevism is public enemy number one for the whole world. Two, Jews all over the world are supporting Bolshevism. Three, Germans are the happiest and best cared for people in the world. Four, Germany is invincible. And five, England is economically and politically decadent. Material for Chandler's shows came directly from daily meetings. And listening to his broadcasts, it certainly seems like he got a lot of information. In fact, he was briefed enough to know and speak about Hitler's final solution, the Nazi plan for the genocide of Jews during World War II. He not only supported the idea, he hoped it would be adopted in the United States. Any scripts that Chandler wrote for air were subject to political and military censorship. When this was brought up at his treason trial, which we'll talk about in a moment, the witness testified that it was to, quote, 
see to it that Mr. Chandler's commentaries would not run counter to the official German propaganda line, but that they would follow it in general outline. Out and about in the city of Berlin, Chandler was never seen without a swastika pin on his lapel. A Time magazine reporter described him as, quote, a tall, handsome, crisp-mannered, crisp-dressed person with crisp iron-gray hair. Since the move to Berlin, though, Chandler actually had been dissatisfied. It's reported he was an insomniac and a bit of a hypochondriac, that he drank copiously but never appeared to be drunk. He once stated that after each recording session, he made himself physically ill. He wrote, quote, Within the first hour, I would be seized by a violent, nervous paroxysm which centered in my solar plexus and caused me, during the time of writing, a violent diarrhea each day. It's also said that Chandler complained, a lot, to his superiors. He had grown angry, citing problems such as this one. The propaganda department had not helped him find a place to live. He claimed that they had not provided him with a proper office. But it also just seems he was unhappy with a lot of things at the time. He said he didn't like the show's music, he also didn't like being told what to say, and he didn't like the other hosts and announcers. On the night of May 26, 1941, no more than a month after the show had launched, Paul Revere announced that it was his 52nd birthday. He was now, he said, quote, the exact age of Adolf Hitler, the most successful man in the world. Then he did something perhaps unexpected. He introduced himself by his real name, Douglas Chandler, and he mentioned several times that night that he was a contributor to National Geographic magazine. In his writing and his broadcasts, Chandler talked big about who he worked for, while at the same time totally railing against the publication's leadership and editorial board. His work was steeped in his personal belief that the United States government was controlled by Jewish business interests, and he spoke to a pro-Nazi and anti-American agenda in his work. We read a few letters from National Geographic's readership that were sent upon reading and hearing his message, and they all sound a lot like this, quote, this is what I'm curious about. How did the Nazis come to have such a spite against the National Geographic? And another one, quote, I couldn't have been more surprised if it had been the annual report of the Ladies' Benevolent Society being ripped to ribbons. Lagorce personally wrote back to many outspoken members of their audience with replies such as, quote, It is a sickening commentary on human nature that an especially intelligent man would sell his birthright for Nazi gold. But as history has recorded, such things happen now and then. Chandler's beliefs had come to the attention of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and now, of course, to National Geographic, too, since they were getting notified about all of his poor commentary on them. And both of these organizations had begun to investigate him and his ties to the Nazi party. Now, the American public knew about his agenda as well. In an editorial for National Geographic, headlined America's Number One Traitor, a former friend of Chandler's, a man named Albert A. Brandt, wrote, quote, Extolling the righteousness, glory, and invincibility of the Nazis, Douglas Chandler outdoes Goebbels. In the piece, and this is so crazily out of place, 
He mentions what, of course, we are all wondering, and that is, yes, Chandler was still, quote, an exceptionally handsome man. Why is this even there? Like, Such an <laughs> odd detail. I know he's bad, but he's still very pretty. He's got great <laughs> hair. I don't get it. It's, <laughs> it's a super strange way to frame it. Like, he's trying to find something redeeming about it. Right? The one thing, he combs his hair well. On December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor drew the United States into the war. While other Americans were repatriated from Berlin, Chandler and his family stayed. He later told the FBI, quote, My only thought during this period had been for the continued existence of what we call the American way of life. During a broadcast, he said, quote, Yes, by all means, let Pearl Harbor be avenged, but not upon the Japanese, upon the real authors of this war, the Jews. The day is not far off the horizon when the Yankee cry will be for a plentifully purging pogrom, and the measures employed by the Reich will seem child's play in comparison. Chandler's show went on hiatus for a few months. We've read two months, three months, maybe as many as six, probably three. Upon its return to the airwaves in early 1942, Chandler reasoned that, quote, At the end of the war, when I go home, if the Democrats are still in power, I will definitely be persona non grata with the officialdom, but will be acclaimed by the masses of the people. It was in 1942 when the United States government began prosecuting those who had committed treason during World War II. And on July 26, 1943, Several American broadcasters were indicted for treason, and all were charged with committing that treason against the United States by supporting Nazi Germany. And among them was Douglas Chandler. When he was indicted in the United States, Chandler was still living in Germany, and his show carried on. His broadcast grew increasingly... Mild is probably the best way to describe this change. He started playing classical music, and... His big thing was the launch of a poetry series, noting that, quote, poets and musicians were the ultimate peacemakers. Propaganda aside, Chandler was interested in making shows that contained good popular music with some sentimental songs mixed in, as well as, quote, from time to time, good standard American poetry. Whitman, Tennyson, even Kipling, selected on the basis to arouse homesickness and the desire for peace. Only a few months after the U.S. declared victory in Europe in May of 1945, authorities discovered the Chandler family living in Duroc, a Bavarian village. According to historian Edwards, Chandler spent the first several minutes of his apprehension simply staring at the U.S. Army captain who'd been sent to retrieve him. Just staring, dumbfounded. And then he asked the captain how the Americans liked his show. Chandler was taken to a U.S. Army detention center, and while there, he penned as many as 48 pages of his autobiography. He also officially became one of 11 Americans prosecuted for treason after World War II. The United States government hadn't really given much credit to the Nazi Party's propaganda broadcasts, but later on estimated that their shows did have an audience of between 150,000 and 300,000 Americans. Chandler was aware of his audience, and we quote him stating, 
I am informed that there has been a vast increase in the number of Americans who habitually dial in on the shortwave sending of Berlin Radio. Douglas Chandler's treason trial began on June 6, 1947, and lasted three weeks. Chandler, the defendant, stood in the Boston Federal District Court and entered a defense of insanity. We're going to take a break here for a word from our sponsor. And when we return, we will get into the courtroom and talk about the numerous overt acts of treason committed by Chandler. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about what happened in that Boston Federal District courtroom. 
this was going to be a tough case to defend. The prosecution relied primarily on some pretty solid evidence. They had recordings of Chandler's wartime broadcast for Reich Broadcasting Corporation. He recorded in Europe, and his show was beamed to listeners in the United States, and that meant that they could be, and were, picked up by the Federal Communications Commission's monitoring station in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. His broadcasts were considered active participation in propaganda activities against the United States. So this is a treason trial. Do we know now the definition of treason as it's stated in the United States Constitution? Maybe. I mean, the odds are pretty good. But let's, let's say it one more time. Okay. Just to be clear. <laughs> Article 3, Section 3 of the United States Constitution reads as so. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. Chandler's indictment listed 23 overt acts alleged to have given aid and comfort to enemies of the United States, and that he knowingly and traitorously committed them. Thirteen of those overt acts were withdrawn from consideration, some by the United States and others by the district judge, so that left ten possible acts of treason submitted to the jury. For someone like Chandler, a broadcaster, one overt act included arranging for the making of a recording. Two of his acts included speaking into a microphone in the actual recording of talks for broadcast. One was participation in a conference for improvement in the operation of the shortwave station. Two were attendance and participation in conferences of radio commentators at which directives were received from higher authority relative to the content of broadcasts, and four were participation in conferences aimed at securing the resumption or continuance of defendants' broadcasting activities. For 17 days, 12 jurors had sat in Boston's federal district court watching what Time magazine described as the, quote, thin, arrogant face of traitor Douglas Chandler. Chandler was the first man in U.S. history to be tried for giving aid and comfort to the enemy by broadcasting propaganda. The indictment charged that Chandler's treasonous activities took place at, quote, all times beginning on December 11, 1941, and continuing thereafter up to and including May 8, 1945, in various places within the German Reich. Also included in the document was, and we're going to paraphrase as we go along here, that he was a native-born citizen of the United States and a person owing allegiance to the United States, and that he was in violation of said duty of allegiance, that he did knowingly, intentionally, and traitorously adhere to the enemies of the United States, and more particularly the government of the German Reich and the German radio broadcasting company, as well as its officials and employees. It stated that he gave enemies of the United States aid and comfort within the United States and elsewhere. The indictment defined Chandler's treasonous act of giving aid and comfort to those enemies of the United States as, quote, 
consisting of working as a radio speaker and commentator in the USA zone of the shortwave station of the German radio broadcasting company, a company controlled by the German government, which work included the preparation and composition of commentaries, speeches, talks, and announcements, and the recording thereof for subsequent broadcast by radio from Germany to the United States. It continued that these activities were, quote, intended to persuade citizens and residents of the United States to decline to support the United States in the conduct of said war, and to weaken and destroy confidence in the administration of the government of the United States. In fact, this would be really hard to disprove because Chandler had a written contract with the shortwave station of Reich Broadcasting Corporation, and that contract stated, quote, Mr. Douglas Chandler will be employed as a commentator in the USA newsroom. His employment is necessary by the war conditions. That means, on account of the drafting of permanent employees and the additional war tasks of the radio, respectively. His compensation was listed as 1,000 Reichsmark per month. Though it was understood Chandler was responsible only to the German shortwave agency and his broadcast, he also held two other contracts, one with the Foreign Language Service Press Corp., where he drew a salary of 750 Reichmarks per month, and another with the Anti-Comintern and the Anti-Semitic Action, for which he received 750 Reichmarks a month for, quote, the regular collaboration in the foreign language propaganda of the Anti-Comintern and the Anti-Semitic Action, respectively. Chandler, in total, if you're doing the math, made 2,500 marks per month, which made him the highest-paid commentator in the USA zone. His superior, who was chief of the division, received less than half of Chandler's income. For the prosecution, the news editor of the USA zone testified, quote, We said that German propaganda during the war was to be used chiefly to create disunity among the Allies, England, America, Russia, and also to create disunity within the individual countries. Along the same line, he continued, quote, Commentators were told to stress themes along the lines that America would never be able to win the war, that it would be much too costly, that the establishment of a second front would fail owing to the strength of German armies, that actually America had nothing to do in this European war, that America had no war aims, that the GI did not know what he was fighting for. Twelve sample recordings of Chandler's so-called Paul Revere broadcasts, all of which were recorded in 1942, were used as evidence against him in his trial, and those were played to the jury in the courtroom. Each included the five basic messages of the Nazi propaganda line, as had been laid out by Goebbels. In one of his broadcasts, Chandler referred to his Paul Revere nom de plume as his nom de guerre. Judge Francis Joseph William Ford instructed the jury that the recordings were to be used to determine whether Chandler had an intention to betray his country, but only that. Quote, These recordings that were played back in court can only be considered on the question of intent and not on the issue of aid and comfort. They cannot supply any deficiency with respect to two-witness proof on any of the overt acts submitted as possible acts of treason in the event you find such a deficiency. Judge Ford also instructed the jury as follows, quote, The defendant, 
while domiciled in the German Reich, owed a qualified allegiance to it. He was obligated to obey its laws, and he was equally amenable to punishment with citizens of that country if he did not do so. At the same time, the defendant, while residing in Germany during the period stated in the indictment, owed to his government full, complete, and true allegiance. Chandler did not perform acts of aid and comfort under enemy duress, nor was he under enemy compulsion. In fact, to the contrary, it was he himself who sought employment with the shortwave station. Nor was he an American citizen caught abroad during the war, forced to accept employment that post-war may have been seen as some sort of aid in the enemy war effort. Chandler knew exactly what he was dealing with. He was dealing with the enemy, and he volunteered for it. The defense argued that Chandler had exercised his First Amendment rights, but they defended him as though he were suffering from paranoia. His defense, remember, that was a plea of insanity, was not convincing. In this situation, the court would conduct a preliminary hearing to determine the mental capacity of the defendant. That means that the court would decide whether or not Chandler understood the nature of the proceedings against him and whether or not he could rationally aid in his own defense. And the court held their hearing and found him mentally fit for trial. So ultimately, the insanity defense didn't hold up against the testimony given by the 20 to 30 witnesses who took the stand, including 16 of his former German colleagues, plus numerous exhibits that were also included. One witness recalled Chandler had remarked that, quote, an American victory in Europe would endanger Western civilization in Europe, whereas a German victory in Europe would in no way harm the United States. It wouldn't touch the United States. Another witness recalled, quote, that he thought it was his mission to drift the United States out of the war. Chandler claimed to the FBI that National Geographic had requested that he, quote, survey various European countries for articles they may want to publish, and that he traveled extensively as part of his job. The magazine's name was dropped really frequently during the trial. Newspapers referred to Chandler as the magazine's, quote, European correspondent or special representative, and sometimes as an editorial staff member. National Geographic, though, was desperately trying to separate itself from Chandler and from this trial. The chief of the magazine's news bulletin service, a man named Theodore F. Koop, sent a memo to Boston newspapers covering the trial stating, quote, The facts are that Chandler never was any of these things or had any other connection with the National Geographic magazine except that of a freelance contributor who was offered several articles before the war started. During the final week of the trial, a reporter for the Boston Traveler wrote, quote, a verbal picture of Douglas Chandler as an eccentric insomniac who contemplated suicide and imagined Jewish agents were following him was drawn on the witness stand in federal court here today. Chandler did not testify at his trial. The testimony of the seven witnesses that the defense called on his behalf was an effort directed to the defense of insanity. Four psychiatrists testified that he had we're quoting, an obsessive fear of Jews. One doctor argued that Chandler was not, quote, capable of resisting the opportunity of broadcasting his views on Jews. Before the judge's ruling, Chandler stood and stated, quote, 
I am of course not insane, but I have permitted them to defend me on the grounds they chose. It is the tragedy of my life that the warnings I gave my country were not, and are not, yet accepted. Time, however, will vindicate me. The jury found Chandler had intent to betray the United States, and that he knew he was dealing with enemy agents. He knew the mission of the shortwave station was hostile toward the United States, and yet he volunteered to help the enemy execute that mission. On June 28, 1947, Douglas Chandler was found guilty and was convicted on all 10 counts of treason. The minimum sentence was five years in prison and a $10,000 fine. The maximum penalty was death. He also lost his United States citizenship. Prosecutors argued for execution by hanging, stating, quote, because he wanted Germany to win the war. Chandler was not given the death penalty, though. He was sentenced to life in prison. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy commuted Chandler's sentence, with the provision, though, that he leave the United States and never be allowed to return. In August that year, Chandler was deported to Germany. We don't hear from Chandler again until 1970, when he wrote to National Geographic editor Melville Bell Grosvenor requesting $200 to $300 for the expenses that he incurred while on assignment that had been canceled after his Nazi sympathies were discovered. Grosvenor, in a memo to a deputy at the magazine, wrote, quote, This letter has been sitting on my desk for some days, and frankly, I haven't the slightest idea how to answer it. Chandler must be an old man now, and it appears he is really desperate for funds. Little is known of Chandler's life, actually, after that letter. Stories continue to surface about him, though, like the one where someone claimed in the early aughts that they had shared a train car with him in Germany back in the 70s, and that the octogenarian was living in the Canary Islands, living the same politics and calling himself, quote, National Geographic's representative in Europe. True or not? Can't say. <sighs> Would you like to have a little perfidy pour to take the edge off this one? I actually was just about to ask you, maybe we should take the edge off. We need, we need a refreshment, whether it's with alcohol or not. I just need something refreshing. Douglas makes me rub my head in such ways that I feel a headache coming on. Well, so might this drink. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's have it. <laughs> In thinking about this and in examining his life, it's a very harsh story in many ways, and it's hard to understand. And you see how uh, you and I have talked about he kind of in some ways seems like a person who kind of went with the flow of people that were were agreeing with his mm-hmm. kind of extreme ideas and then found himself in way too deep in a messy situation that's a very gentle way to put it, obviously. He was committing treason. Very, but yes. And I'm just calling this one propaganda because it seems like the only word. I kept thinking about what would be clever and I'm like, nothing feels right. Because of the direct impact of the work of people like him and what we know was happening in Germany at this time and how many people lost their lives. I didn't want to do a pithy, cute name. So I wanted to make a very strong drink. 
It's not just spirit forward. It's all spirit. This is a little bit of a variation on how you might make a martini. This is a one one drink item. I would not make more than one of these. And even one, if you haven't eaten, don't do it. (laughs) So you're going to start by mixing just a little, a third to a half ounce of each, and you're going to end up with extra equal parts ginger liqueur and goldschlager. Really? You want to get those mixed together. And then you want to chill yourself a martini glass, whether you put that in the freezer or you fill it with ice and let it sit while you're prepping your other stuff. You want it very cold. While you're doing that and you have your liqueur mixture ready, go ahead and throw one and a half to two, if you're feeling very brave, ounces of vodka in a shaker with a lot of ice and you are going to shake the heck out of it. You (laughs) want it to make the shaker so cold it's almost hard to hold anymore. Once that's done, get your chilled martini glass out. You're going to pour just enough of your liqueur mixture in there so that you can swirl it around and coat the entire interior of the glass. But Then you're going to toss any extra. You don't let it float to the bottom. You just want a coating. And then you are literally straining that very cold vodka directly into your martini glass. Mm -hmm. Some shards of ice come with it. That's fine. You're going to stick a cinnamon stick or a thinly sliced piece of ginger in there and you're set. That is your very all spirit might make your mouth pucker. But the very high degree of chilling that you do takes the bite off of spirits. That's why normally if you're in a nice bar and you ask for a martini, they're usually quite cold because mm-hmm. it makes it easier to sip them. As I said, this is only only one. This is <laughs> just one. Just need one. Not one you need a lot of. Drink responsibly always. Right. I don't need 10 counts of overt acts <laughs> against me. No. One is plenty to deal with. This is a fun one to do, though, as a mocktail. It's easy direct sub outs. Ginger syrup mixed with cinnamon syrup to do that coating. And then you just pour in really cold ginger ale and it's Mm -hmm. like the nicest sip because no matter where you sip, like it has touched that syrup and you just get a little tinge of it. And it's, I love a good cold drink. I will drink soda at room temperature, but when it comes to something like this, I want it very cold. I like the little ice shards that show up. Oh, I love an ice shard. That is the propaganda, which as I said, in the mocktail version, I took a sip of that and was quite pleased. It was very delicious. The original cocktail version is very yummy, but like I said, woo. <laughs> Be ready for it. Yes. And that's also a time, I think this goes without saying, but I'll say it just the same. This is a time when you maybe want to spend a little bit more on your vodka. Because anytime you're doing a very spirit forward drink of any kind, whether it involves bourbon, gin, anything, if you're going to taste a lot of it, it really does help <laughs> everything. If you can, to just spend a little bit more on what you're purchasing to get a nice one. There are a lot of nice vodkas that are not like break the bank expensive. Mm-hmm. Just don't, you want to stay above those bottom couple of shelves. That's all I'm saying <laughs> in the liquor store. Don't bend down. Don't bend down. <laughs> just, uh, don't bend down. That's a great rule of thumb in the liquor store, depending <laughs> on what you're, just don't bend down. Don't bend down. Listen. I'm not shaming anybody. I've I have drunken a lot of cheap alcohol in my day. I have too. I was actually gonna move that percentage to maybe like ninety-six percent of the time. 
<laughs> but every once in a while, absolutely. Listen, again, we're never going to judge you. I'm just saying never. you will be happier if you can spend a little bit more on a nicer vodka or something like this. That is our drink for this week. Next week, we're going to be right back here again with more treason and more perfidy pours. So we hope you join us. And we're so thankful that you did this week. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare trinity school of natural health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.